What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, I am going to reveal for you my week two top 25 going into next week. Yes, I understand that Clemson still plays Georgia Tech on Labor Day. We'll talk about that a bit more. I want to talk about some teams that I'm very impressed by and some teams that I'm kind of disappointed by, but still have some room to improve. And we're going to take a look at my top five dudes list. Dudes that have shown themselves to be an absolute dude during week one. So as you can see, loaded and packed show. Let's start off the top with my top 25 ranking going into week two. The big mover at the top. Number one is Georgia now. Georgia in my previous preseason was looking at about three, four-ish, right? That's what I thought they might be in the college football playoff, a team that shows up in the SEC championship game and then demonstrates themselves to be on the eye test, one of those teams that should receive an invitation to the four-team playoff. But then they played Oregon. And it's not that they beat Oregon 49 to three. It's that Oregon was ranked number 11 in the Associated Press Top 25, and inside of my Top 25, even traveling to Atlanta to play the defending national champs. Usually, I'm talking to you like most other people are, us filthy casuals getting at these other filthy casuals about Georgia's defense. But the diehard dog fan would be like, no, 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 no. The offense is what you're going to be talking about in 2022 because it looks like Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldog offense has reached that upper level where their mind, body, and soul must be one. Also, Bruce Leroy, because the dude is Stetson Bennett. My goodness, a guy that walked on to Georgia five years ago, still playing football there, living his best life. The prototypical college football quarterback who also ran the Dallas Carter here, which I love. This was an outstanding TD and really not something I expected to see out of do wearing number 13 for the Georgia Bulldogs. And then he's able to escape evade look at this my god and then he throws a touchdown pass running away from Oregon defenders all of a sudden Stetson Bennett looking a lot like Bryce Young in 2021 again I did not expect to say nice things about Georgia and its offense in 2022 but that's where we are when Stetson Bennett goes 25 of 31 for 368 with four total tutties in three quarters of football and then Kirby Smart's defense is still Kirby Smart's defense. As a matter of fact, Dan Lanning had the pleasure of coordinating that defense last year, and Kirby Smart used it to hammer him into the ground with his mostly SEC staff. Goodness me, who is going to stop Georgia in 2022 is the question for all of you. As a matter of fact, to that point, I asked a question, watching Ohio State Notre Dame late last night, would either one of these teams be able to beat Georgia. And even from many Ohio State fans, like, not, not today, dog. Week one, nah, it's, it's Georgia. Everybody else can close the gap later on. But right now, we are pretty much all in agreement that Georgia is the class of the college football field, something that we're usually saying about Nick Saban in Alabama and how I felt until Saturday when they absolutely stopped a mud hole in Oregon and walked it dry. I also have Ohio State at number three here, mostly on two things. Alabama goes and beats up on Utah State 55-0, to and Utah State is the defending Mountain West champ. They're not 
bad, guys. Alabama's just that good. It means the SEC championship game probably features Alabama and Georgia come December. And then we may have some variation of those two in the college football playoff, maybe in the national semifinal for back-to-back years. And the third time since 2017. But Ohio State looked really, really tough against Notre Dame. We'll talk a bit more about Notre Dame as we go on through the show. But I've learned a lot about Ohio State and its ability to play nasty football against a Notre Dame team that I got to say was not backing down. I expected this game to look not as lopsided as Oregon and Georgia but really to cover the spread. And Notre Dame said, no, we are going to be in this for the entire game. We are going to fight and fight back. We have a new starter at quarterback who didn't even throw for more than 177 yards, and yet they're still in the game. They knocked out Jackson Smith and Jigba, which means that C.J. Stroud has to find someone else to throw the football to. Good thing that Brian Hartline is your wide receiver coach and passing game coordinator. And you got guys like Emeka Egbuka who can absolutely step up and make a play here. But you also have, my goodness, look at this catch. That's a walk-on, people. That's a walk-on making that catch. And then you're able to play smash-mouth football at the goal line. Very excited to see what Notre Dame can do the rest of the way. And that's the other part about this. Notre Dame is still a good football team. You'll know that in my top 25, I had them still in the top 10, mostly because they're able to keep guys like C.J. Stroud in check for most of the game. This is a man who I've been used to seeing pass for over 300, close to 400 yards a game. Had 444, excuse me. 4,400 yards passing last year. In this game, a modest 223, but also completed nearly 71% of his passes. You got outstanding run play from Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams toward the end of the game, and you're able to play the kind of nasty football that Ohio State needs to be able to win or to play to win the national championship. And as a matter of fact, Ryan Day said, that's the kind of game we actually need to win. And we need more of those, especially as I, like you and many Buckeye fans, We're questioning their toughness. I think we know now that they are tough offensively, that they can fight back from some adversity, and that Jim Knowles' defense is going to be all right. We're going to be all right. That's that's all right. A lot of all rights in there. Okay. Also in my top 25, you'll see Michigan crack inside of it along with Florida. Take Michigan here for a second. One of my questions for Michigan going into this 2022 season is not necessarily about the quarterback. We'll talk about that in a bit. But what they were going to do defensively. You lost a first-round draft pick at safety in Dax Hill, who's the best natural football player I've seen with my own two eyes. As a matter of fact, at one point last year, the starting safety for Michigan, or one of the starting safeties for Michigan, went to Tulsa, Booker T. Washington. Starting safety for the Ohio State Buckeyes, Josh Proctor went to Owasso. That's like, I could throw a football to most of those plays. Well, not, not Booker T. Owasso. I could throw a football to East Central. Point is, they're from my backyard, and I've got a particular brand of pride there. Then you lose Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo from that really great Michigan defensive front last year. And I asked, who are you going to replace them with? Well, it turns out Mike Morris is a guy, right? Six foot six, 292 pounds, a kind of guy that's so athletic at that size that you can flex him out to standing in a foot nine on second down as an outside linebacker at that sort of speed and uh, size and ability to run with, oh my God, if you're six foot six, 292 pounds and you can run with running backs, what can't you do? And then you're able to add Ayabi Anoma coming from UT Martin as a grad transfer. Slyly, three weeks before the season starts, he gets on campus at Michigan, records a sack against Colorado State. I think the defense is going to be okay, even with all of the moving and shaking that went on. Jesse Minter, his first game 
allows just seven points against Colorado State. That's a great way to start there. Also in here, you'll see Florida. After what Florida was able to do against what I thought was a top five Utah team and what the Associated Press thought was a top seven Utah team, you got to put them in the top 25. It's not a team that I expected to be talking really well about after week one, but I saw so much good from this defense, in particular, this interception here that seals the victory for the Florida Gators as Cam Rising had an opportunity to try to win this game late, but fell just short. Now, that is the positive to take from this from Utah is that you were in this game every step of the way and you had opportunities to stretch the lead over and over again. But credit to Florida, who bent and bent and bent and did not break, who watched Muhammad Diabate leave Florida to be a linebacker at Utah and probably had some sort of psychological leverage on some of those players, if not the scheme, because we're talking about a totally different regime here. But I also learned that Anthony Richardson can play with poise and is an outstanding Urban Meyer, Dan Mullen style of quarterback playing for Billy Napier. Kind of guy that at that size, about six foot five, 240, you expect to be able to take off and run. And he did. He had over 100 yards rushing in this game. It's one of the reasons why Florida was able to average over seven yards per carry against a Utah defense that had made its name over the past 20 years by, quite frankly, stopping people from running the football on them. There's also an opportunity for Utah to try to get an edge on playing in the college football playoff based on how they played against the a class SEC team, or at least a class SEC program, having won national titles in 2006, 2008, and really helping vaunt the SEC to the front of the line as the best league in all of college football. Florida showed me something offensively, defensively. I think it's going to be a really great game when it comes time to play the world's largest outdoor cocktail party in Jacksonville later this year against the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm excited about that. Back to Michigan for just a second here. Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy are dueling for a job out in front of everybody in public. Not necessarily the way that I would want to do it, but that's the way that Jim Harbaugh wants to do it. So Cade McNamara got the start against Colorado State. He finished 9 of 18 for 136 with a TD. I don't think that's really going to get it done because this is the best play he made all day. A 61-yard receiving touchdown by Roman Wilson's what goes down in the stat book, but you saw that. That's a swing pass. You dump the ball to the guy that returns kicks for you, and he took it the rest of the way. That doesn't necessarily show me a whole bunch about who Cade McNamara is and how he can operate. Also add in there, when J.J. McCarthy was able to come into this game from time to time, he was 4-4 on passing situations, and that made me feel a little bit better about what he's capable of, but it's obvious that the Michigan offense really likes them a Cade McNamara he's one of the captains on that team and he's one of those guys that really leads this program but you saw there with J.J. McCarthy man that dude in the open field is a menace and I think when you get into the class of the Big Ten you're going to need a quarterback like J.J. McCarthy who can run through people and can outrun the people that are chasing him especially at a place like Michigan where everybody expects you to run the ball first, second, and third down, and then try to play, or first and second down, then try to play action pass off the third. J.J. gives you a little bit more to do. And quite frankly, I'm more terrified of J.J. McCarthy than I am Kay McNamara, and that's usually the best way for me to say that I'm going to pick a quarterback. Which one of these guys is the one that I'm I'm afraid of when we play scout team? That's the guy that probably needs to be my starting quarterback. Okay, from my rankings reaction, let's move to three teams that really impressed me after this week one. I'm going to list them off, and we'll go through them one by one. Oklahoma, 
to start here. USC, BYU. Let's start with Oklahoma, though. The Sooners looked balanced on offense and defense for the first time in half a decade. It is the first time that I watched an Oklahoma football team and said, no, the offense is as good as the defense. And the offense put up 45, okay? That's a great sign for Brent Venables in what is his era of football. Shouts again to him who got the game ball for the win and was emotional about it, was speechless for it. And as he didn't have things to say or things he could say because he was being so overwhelmed, I got to see and hear players say, I'd run through a brick wall for you. You also got to see what it was like for Dylan Gabriel to be the guy. I don't know if that's a first-team All-American quarterback, but it's certainly a first-team All-Big 12 quarterback who's capable of making plays with his feet and with his arm. You get to see Eric Gray here. Look at that. Pulled it out of Eric Gray's stomach and then made a man miss to get into the end zone. I like seeing that. That's the kind of quarterback that I like to see out there playing for Oklahoma, a guy that can beat you with his legs and with his arms. And my goodness, did Oklahoma find a diamond in the rough in their own backyard? Little, Just a little bit here. We're going to talk about Heritage Hall's own Gavin Freeman, a walk-on Wes Welker type who showed up after having committed to Texas Tech, decommitted from Texas Tech, got the new regime change and said, I like to walk on in Oklahoma. My dad played here, played a little tight end. And they said, sure. And he turns out to be a player for them in week one. Shout out to him. If Wes Welker also sounds a little bit familiar, it's because he also went to Heritage Hall before walking on at Texas Tech to have what I think is a Hall of Fame career, according to me. But I expect that with Brent Venables, you're going to find more of that. Right. That's the overarching point here is Brent Venables had made a living at Clemson finding guys out in the woods and then developing them into destroyer of worlds. Isaiah Simmons came from a small high school in Kansas where his best offer was to Kansas. And then Brent Venables went up there, saw that he had a six foot four, 225 pound monster, hugged him around his waist, took him back to Clemson and developed him into what is becoming the model for the cheetah position at Oklahoma. Back in my day, we just called it nickel, right? But it is a position where you're supposed to be able to play a little bit of linebacker, a little bit of safety, a little bit of edge, right? Justin Harrington, a former safety, and Deshaun White, a former linebacker, play that position to tell you what kind of versatility they want to have there at Oklahoma. Impressed by them, want to see if Oklahoma can keep that up against Kent State, and then eventually at Nebraska and Lincoln. Feels like right now, OU should be off to a 3-0 and start by the time we get to conference play. Next team that impressed me on this list, got to go with USC and Lincoln Riley, okay? But it's not really about USC and Lincoln Riley. It's about USC and Alex Grinch. Now, I'm a degenerate. So I go and find the Pac-12 playing USC and Rice because I'm interested. I want to know. I also have friends that brave the 100-degree temperatures in Los Angeles to go see the start of the Lincoln Riley era. I'm going to give them a little bit of credit here because they're not used to that kind of heat out there because, well, ocean breezes and stuff, but just going to say that it's 84,000 and full at Oklahoma for UTEP and 96 degree heat and humidity. That said, Shane Lee among three had pick sixes in this game against Wrights. Now, all of these were tip passes, right, from wide receivers, so they're flukes, but Johnny on the spot is Johnny on the spot and then taking it back the whole way. That's nothing to sneeze at, man. And for Alex Grinch, who is a tackles for loss and takeaways freak, that is what you want. You want opportunistic players. You want players that are going to make big plays that swing the game. Grinch is a guy that once commissioned a math professor at Ohio State to find out how many takeaways it takes to get to nine wins. Found the number was 22. 
Get 22 takeaways, probably going to win nine games, regardless of how good your offense is. The thought being that if you marry Alex Grinch's takeaway philosophy with Lincoln Riley's ability to move the football into the end zone, you should have a dynamic offense and defense. And it looks like that's what they got at USC, where you got 18 points of your 66 coming from the defense. That's a great way to start the 2022 season. And all of a sudden, feels like USC is the class of the Pac-12 with Oregon and Utah getting beat down by SEC East opponents. And USC slowly off to a 1-0 start, already to a quarter of their win total in 2021. Let's see how they progress. By the time USC gets an opportunity to play Notre Dame, I hope that that is a big game that has some college football playoff implications inside of it. Okay, last team that really impressed me this weekend, Brigham Young University. That's right, BYU. They went down to Tampa to play the South Florida Bulls where they were an 11 and a half point favorite and they won 50 to 21. This is who BYU has become over the last three years. A team that you are getting ready to bank on winning 10 games a year, playing an independent schedule. If I called them Notre Dame light, they might take some offense to that, but that's how it feels. You're barnstorming around, you're taking on all comers, and you are absolutely throwing down. And they threw down a gauntlet going into this week where they get number 10 Baylor, we'll see what the rankings say on Tuesday for the AP, headed to their house in Provo. That's with Jeff Grimes, a former coordinator at BYU, returning, and Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts bringing the whole defense that put up a total as a program, 69 points on FCS Albany on Saturday night. I'm very excited to see what BYU looks like and what Baylor looks like in a game that I think is going to be low-key, as good as Arkansas-Cincinnati was on Saturday. Keep your eyes on BYU. I think they're going to make some noise in 2022. All right. From the teams that impressed me to three teams that kind of disappointed me, all right? We got some room for improvement here. It's not that they're out of any contentious week one for people, for crying out loud. Now, I got Iowa, Utah, and Oklahoma State I want to go through here. The Hawkeyes won their way. Since Hayden Fry became the head coach at Iowa, Iowa has never once had an identity crisis. They know exactly who they are and what they plan to do. Now, a lot of that is because Kurt Ferentz has been the head coach since the 20th century, quite literally. But they want to run the ball, and they want to play outstanding defense. They did that against the number three-ranked team in the FCS that is the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. The problem that many people have with it, especially with them still being in my top 25, is that they didn't score a touchdown. I don't see that as a bad thing. I'm on my roll-safe knowledge here. It don't matter that your offense can't score TDs if their defense can't score TD or their offense can't score TDs. You know what I'm saying? You could play outstanding defense and have a mediocre offense and win championships. See the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. If that's who Iowa's going to be in 2022, sign me up because I'm here for good football. You can play good football by scoring a bunch of points. You can play good football by stopping people. But the one thing I know to be true is you will not win any championship without a defense. They already have that. With Jack Campbell leading that charge, if Spencer Petrus figures it out, finds a couple other receivers to go along with Bruce and Sam Laporta, I think that they're going to be just fine. However, I'm a little disappointed that they did not win by 20 to 3, right? I don't think anybody would be mad about that, knowing that South Dakota State is a good football team. You got to be able to score touchdowns at some point during the season. You don't have to be able to bank on it, 
But if your defense is still the defense that you had in 2021, and it seems to be so stifling, they're going to be okay. Just a little bit disappointed. I wanted them to be a bit better. I'm still excited to see what Iowa looks like against Michigan, that game at Kinnick Stadium on October 1st. All right. The Utes missed an opportunity to put the Pac-12 firmly in the college football playoff, if you ask me, by getting what I thought could have been a resounding win against a program that we all think the world of in Florida, what they've been able to do over the past 20 years. They squandered opportunities in the red zone. They squandered opportunities to really take control of this game, and they could not stop the run knowing that Anthony Richardson was going to do just that and Trevor Etienne was going to help him out. For Utah, you have to deal with the reputational damage to your league where you were the team that most of us picked to be the one to most likely represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff, and you're the defending Pac-12 champion. So if you're really wanting to be mean about it, you can say a program with a first-year head coach who just fired the last head coach went and beat up on the best team in the Pac-12 in 2021 in a game that they probably shouldn't have been in. It's just not a good look if you are the Utah Utes, and it gotten it got so much worse. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But as producer Tyler had said before the show kicked off, Utah feels down bad. They come back, but right now they feel down bad. All right, from this team, let's go to the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I think... I think it's really about the defense for them. We know that Spencer Sanders has full control of the offense. Mike Gundy said at Big 12 Media Days that he th- thought that Spencer Sanders was a magician in their offense. I asked him to expand on that. Most of what he said whittles to this. I'm paraphrasing. He's got the experience and the understanding to get us in and out of bad plays and to make things happen with his legs when the play just doesn't go according to plan. And I saw a bunch of that in their game against Central Michigan where he had over 400 total yards and put up a bunch of touchdowns. The score was 44-7, to I believe, or 44-10 at the half. I know that Oklahoma State thought the game was over, but it wasn't because Daniel Richardson of Central Michigan decided that in the second half, no, we're going to be about this task. And I have questions about Oklahoma State's defense now. Now, Mason Cobb is not Malcolm Rodriguez, but he could be pretty doggone good as a linebacker. He had 11 tackles, two and a half for loss. I also think that they're going to get more out of Tyler Tracy, who had two and a half tackles for loss, but also did a great job of just beating the man in front of him. Derek Mason has some fixes to make on his defense, most of which I think come down to tackling. You can put people on the ground, it's it's all going to be okay. And you'll be back to the Big 12 championship game if you get that fixed. But right now, you're giving me a little bit of a scare by getting, well, 34, 44 total points put on your head by Central Michigan, who should not be anywhere near the class competition of the number 12-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. But I'd be the first person to tell you that a win is a win, and they're going to walk out with that. Real quick, just an RJ segment. Kind of wanted to do it. It fell in my lap. I do like a good joke. Now, I had some questions about travel issues in week one or following week one where we had some interesting games. The first one is this one. The Utah Utes did not leave Gainesville after playing Florida immediately. As a matter of fact, they were stranded on their chartered flight from the Gainesville Regional Airport back home due to mechanical issues on their plane. We've all suffered that. It sucks. It really, really sucks. I hate it. 
producer Kat has heard me just be dying crying because things don't go well for me when they talk about air travel. I feel for them. And as of this recording, the players that play at Utah are still in Gainesville waiting on their charter jet to get ready to go so they can get home. Now, the word is they're expected to be home by the end of the day, but you take a bad loss to Florida and then you don't get to leave. You are made to stay there overnight. They make you deplane at like four in the morning. You get back on the plane. You have to deplane again. And now you're just there. Just sucks. The other issue that I thought was interesting and as far as travel issues in this game is about Texas. So I look up Texas Longhorns had beaten Louisiana Monroe 52 to 10. All right. I had some things to say about Quinn Ewers who didn't come out, you know, lights out, but played pretty well. And then he tweeted, how did I get towed during the game? <laughs> so for those of you keeping score at home, QB won on the 40 acres in his home opener in his debut, had his vehicle towed during the game in a 42-point win against Louisiana Monroe, which says two things. One, every University of Texas student is applauding and saying, "If see, this is what it's like for me to try to go to school at UT. There is no parking, and they will tow anybody for any reason. On the other hand, I'm looking at this going, you know who the boldest man in college football is in 2022? The tow truck driver who hooked up QB1's vehicle, I'm assuming it's a truck, in Texas during the game. Best joke I saw on top of all of this was someone who had said, they're making room for Arch's car. Y'all are just, y'all are just brutal. The tweets, man, they come for everybody all the time. The Twitters has no mercy. Just check my mentions underneath any top 25 ever posted CFB on Fox ever. Still thought that was funny. I thought the travel issues were a, a good breakup for what we kind of do here. Sometimes we get too deep in the weeds. Sometimes have a little bit of fun. I like to do both at the same time. I appreciate you indulging with this with me on the number one college football show. All right. We're going to do something a little bit different. Kind of diamonds in the rough, but kind of not. Calling it RJ's top five dudes. These are men who have demonstrated themselves over the course of week one to be an absolute dude. A man you don't want no truck with. A man for which it does not matter that you know that he is going to be the guy that gets the ball and still gets the ball and makes you look silly with the ball in his hands. It is skewing offensive because that is what caught my eye. As a purveyor of the sport, and a person tasked with having an opinion about 130 FBS teams at any given time, at any point in the future, I always take note of a person that I know about or thought I knew about who has shown himself to be a dude. All right, first on this list for me, Central Michigan quarterback Daniel Richardson. Daniel Richardson went 36 of 49, 424 yards passing with four TDs and a pick against the 12th ranked team in the entire country. Chippewas, be excited. DR can absolutely get after it. Very excited to see what Chippewas look like come December. We all know what Oklahoma State is capable of. And if this is any indication, yeah, Central Michigan, you're going to be on it this season. All right, next on this list for me, 
is Purdue wide receiver Charlie Jones, a guy that I knew about at Iowa last year, but I knew about him, like most of you, as a return specialist. He was one of the better return specialists for punt and kick return in the entire country, but Iowa doesn't have an identity crisis. And part of their identity is wide receivers are for blocking. That's what wide receivers, they are, they are linemen out on numbers. That's what you do at Iowa. So they had what I think is white chocolate out there and just didn't throw them the ball. Meanwhile, Jeff Brom says, you know what we do at Purdue? You know all we do at Purdue? You know what our identity is, Purdue? We air that mug out, okay? I have an eight-string walk-on quarterback who is going to go 4,000 yards. You want some? Charlie Jones said, I, I would like some. Yes, I would. I'm going to have you rooming with that quarterback, and y'all are going to form a bond. And y'all are going to show up against Penn State, and you're going to catch 12 passes for 153 yards and a TD. Didn't win the game, but Charlie Jones turned himself into a dude. Also, all you media types that listen to this show. Every time you say Chuck Sizzle out loud, I'm going to demand that you cut my man Gus Johnson a check. Okay? That man nicknames a player, and y'all pick it up and run with it and don't credit him. Okay? It's one of the gym, the gems of this sport. Give my man his flowers. You say Charlie Jones like I say Charlie Jones, and you leave Chuck Sizzle to Gus Johnson. All right, next on this list for me, coming out of the backyard brawl, which was a fantastic affair. Glad that that game is back on because it matters. West Virginia running back, question mark, C.J. Donaldson. Now, C.J. Donaldson was listed as a tight end before the kickoff of the backyard brawl where West Virginia narrowly loses to number 17, Pittsburgh. And then I checked the next morning to be like, okay, did they change his position? Because he had seven carries for 125 yards against Pittsburgh in the backyard brawl. And as of Friday morning, my man was still listed as a tight end. All of six foot two, 240 pounds is an absolute unit back there. And I don't know who's going to want to tackle him. I think C.J. Donaldson is going to be an absolute problem at seven and a half yards deep behind J.T. Daniels come Big 12 season. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Next on this list for me, a dude that I kind of knew was a dude and then demonstrated himself to be a dude. This would be North Carolina quarterback Drake May, who popped onto the scene first by committing to Alabama in the 2021 class and then flipping his commitment to UNC and Mac Brown. The last time that Mac Brown made that high caliber of a quarterback flip, name was Sam Howell, and he changed the program for good. Okay? Same thing seems to be happening with Drake May. Drake May showed out against what I think is a really good Florida AM program that, as we're recording right now, is playing in the Orange Blossom Classic against number 17, Jackson State. And I'm excited to see how that one ends. But against Appalachian State, Drake May went 24 of 36 for 352 with four tutties, 76 rush yards. That's five total TDs in a game that they won 63 to 61. UNC is 2 and 0 and averaging 59 and a half points per game with Drake May, who's just back there slinging it. Like, it's one thing to see a guy who will go through his mechanics, set his feet, and drop a dime. Drake May is so good that I'm watching some Mahomes flipping accuracy, which is to say his body is not even pointed toward the target, and he's able to just whip that thing like David does a slingshot at Goliath's forehead right where it's supposed to go. Drake May is an absolute dude. Last guy on this list for me coming out of the Big Ten, Mike Loxley's own Maryland, showed up with Roman Hemby against Buffalo and decided, no, no, no. 
We have a tailback to match our quarterback. His name is Roman Henby. Went seven carries for 114 yards and a TD against Mo Linguist's Buffalo. Also, shout out to having two black head coaches in an opener, one at Buffalo, one at Maryland. Very excited about that. And I think Maryland might be disruptive in the Big Ten as much, I hope, as Rutgers is because Rutgers and Maryland both got wins this weekend. Rutgers gets a dramatic win against Boston College by a point. Shout out to the Fighting Shadows in New Brunswick in Piscataway. Now, for this Maryland team to be great, I think you're going to have to keep a lid on the defense. I know what you can do offensively. I know what kind of offensive play caller Mike Loxley is. But I'm excited for what's in store for the rest of this college football season if this week one is any indication. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. Be sure to join us on Wednesday when I'm joined by my buddy Jeff Schwartz as we'll chop it up about the week two slate of games to come. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our coordinating producer and senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media maven is JV on Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn and I am the host, RJ Young, we will see y'all in a couple of days. Deuces.